Welcome to Pass the Mic. Hey, pa- pass the mic over hey, here. Hey, pass the no, mic. Pass it over here. Wait, Dira, there are three Sharing mics. Stop sharing. <laughs> I'm Allie. I'm Anarima. I'm Dira. And, and this, this is Pass, pass the, the Mic. topic of the day we're um, discussing mental illness in the colored community and communities because it looks different across different spectrums of color and so we have some special guests here today to talk to you about their personal experiences and intake on what mental health looks like to them so joining me today is the wonderful amanda quo her pronouns are she her hers She's a second-generation Asian-American, and she's also a theater performance major. Please welcome Amanda Quo. Thanks, Allie. Happy to be here. Yeah, we are so happy to have you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What does mental illness look like to you? God, it looks like anything. I actually don't know what it looks like. I was recently diagnosed with depression, like less than a week ago. And I always thought that I was more resilient, that like people who don't struggle with mental health are stronger. And that's something that was instilled in me. And um, in what way? Definitely had tiger parents who were like, you know, hovering over my shoulder, pushing me to achieve um, Mm. and constantly asking myself is this enough i'm gonna plug my basement arts show right now yes please plug your so basement show. i am currently um putting together a student physical theater show that tackles to um physicalize mental health and mm-hmm. our main question is what does it look like um so if anyone's anyone is interested in that please email me amakuo at umich.edu Anyone could have, and everyone, I think, struggles with mental health. Define that yeah, I think every woman of color is a warrior. I think That's we're right. all That's right. fighting. Um, we're all trying to just be accepted, I think. And a lot of the times, um, we don't give ourselves permission to slow down and evaluate what's actually going on in our body and in our minds. Um I'll go back to my childhood. Like it was always um, being an actor specifically. It's like I have to be better than every other white person who goes up for the same role. So how do I, I don't have time to have a mental breakdown. I don't have time to check in with myself. I don't have time to stop. Yeah, Yeah. because, because the world feels like it's already working against you and the industry doesn't want to see you. So you have to be extra good to prove to everyone that you're good enough. As a woman of color, I'm trying to fight every day for people to see me. Having these, I'll I'll call them breakdowns, or episodes, like, really felt discouraging. It felt like, oh, I'm not a warrior anymore. I'm not, you know, how could I allow myself to cry? With mental illness specifically in this community, 
when you have mental illness, at least speaking for myself, sometimes I can't see myself clearly Mm -hmm. um, because of my mental illness, um, because it can get so confusing and so, you know, debilitating and um, Mm -hmm. just really jarring that I don't know who I am a lot of the time. And so, um, and so to have it come into conflict with that kind of need as a person of color and as a woman to feel seen has been like a personal struggle of mine too. Just mm-hmm. that the idea of being seen is is then kind of murkied a little bit with mental illness because mm-hmm. I, I don't see myself as clearly as I would like to. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes it's like pick your cause, you know? For me, uh, this recent diagnosis has kind of been like, okay, do I, do I let go of my Asian American identity, and do I focus more on like my mental health and and advocating for that for myself, or you know, like can I even pick one? And it's sometimes it's like this weird balancing act of identities. I feel like a lot of the times these things are compartmentalized, but actually everything overlaps all the time. It's like uh, once you figure out one thing, apart, uh, like one part of you, another thing starts and you're like, ah, dang, I got to deal with this thing now. And um, I feel like mental illnesses sneak up on you like that. I mean, I think I, like looking back, I've lived my whole life with, you know, panic and depression and anxiety. But I've only kind of accepted the fact that I'm an Asian American woman like a year ago. And of course it's all coming out now because I think, um, you know, like there's only so much we can deal with, like our brains and our souls can deal with at one time. And I think there's a lot of, uh, sort of I'll call it trauma that comes with the woman of color experience and so I think um, because of that like my mental health has come out now in my 20s because all throughout high school I was just worried about my identity and like why I wasn't white I was gonna piggyback off of that when you were saying like which like which one do I choose today um so i deal with like a lot of things so depression and anxiety and insomnia i'm also black and queer and so like that seems like okay it's a lot of shit which one do i pick but like you were saying i think that there's something to be said about kind of dealing with those things all together and realizing um how they all come together as this kind of mix of like okay this is who i am but how do I deal with that as a mixture besides of besides like taking one out and saying, okay, I'm going to deal with this today. And it's like, you can't, you could do that. But at the same time, one is always going to overlap on the other one. So when it comes to like mm-hmm. doing shows and things, I think that's always interesting and an interesting thing to take, uh, interesting um, journey to take because yeah. you want to uh, portray or show these different, identities together but then it's like but if i show this will something else lack um but i think that we we should always think about okay how 
how how does this make me who I am together mm-hmm. um more so than apart so like mm-hmm. being black like in our community we don't talk about mental health like and being someone who deals with mental health like I'm seen as weak by a lot of like my family mm-hmm. members and things like that mm-hmm. but at the same time I have to realize no I'm not weak it's just something that I'm dealing with mm-hmm. and also realize that being black and being queer and dealing with mental health is just all it's like an amalgamation of like something that it's it it's hard but something that turns into like beauty when it comes to art and things like that because it's just like who i am that makes me think of something that a friend said to me today about how you know i was talking about gosh i want to get more representation into the workspace you know that's a fight we're all kind of fighting for um, but they brought up the fact that we're all diverse within ourselves. Like individually, we hold all these identities and histories. So, I mean, by anyone being in a space, it is sort of her- inherently diverse. I mean, that's why intersectionality is so important and like recognizing intersectionality that like you don't have to be one or the other. You don't have to advocate for one or the other. Because when you advocate for something, you're advocating for like the blend of everything that you represent and the person that you are you know and like that's sometimes a trigger and talking about representation in the workspace I know I'll feel safer if someone else who shares an identity with me is there and Mm -hmm. yeah I totally think that's a part of it yeah a lot of my work freshman year um dealt with um this idea of um self-harm through colorism um, and so I, like, like for um, Amanda and I shared a class together. It was called, um, uh, it was like engaging performances for political and present. Um, we'll put it in the bio. But anyways, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I wrote this poem about um, how when I was younger, I had such a strong aversion of my skin color growing up and hated how dark I was that I would stay in the bathroom for you know, hours at a time in the shower, scrubbing my skin until the layer of dark had come off. And um, even to this day, like I think about it and when I get, when I'm in really anxious and depressing situations, I will revert back to that action of like scrubbing my skin and rubbing it until like my forearms are red. And um, I didn't start realizing that until this year in college because I really had to like confront those intersectionalities and I feel like that's when intersectionality can be a negative thing as much as it is something to be to be embraced like I also feel like when two already you know contentious identities come into conflict with each other or contact um, it doesn't always go as we want it to go mm-hmm. yeah and yeah I totally agree with that um going back to your question for me it's been it's been particularly hard to deal with the like mental trauma that comes from being queer in an in a overtly like feminine household and I've never been overtly feminine in my life and so dealing with that on top of like dealing with depression and anxiety and all that all those things that just like adds <laughs> more to that those certain um aspects of my identity so when it comes to um having like depressive episodes or like anxious episodes the fact that you still you're first you're having the depressive episode but at the same time it's like well crap like 
is this brought on because of something that's going on or is it brought on because of the fact that my my mother my grandmother my grandmother say i'm not girl enough you know Mm -hmm. and so that i think recently that's definitely been um something that i've been dealing with uh especially in owning my sexuality um and just uh, trying to debunk that that thing of are you like girl enough are you feminine enough Mm -hmm. and the answer is i i never will be for them and I can't do anything about that. And I shouldn't be, I shouldn't do anything about that. But at the same time, like that does induce like episodes of intense sadness because for your, you want to feel enough for the people who've like birthed you, the women who you like hold dear to your heart. But at the same time, like, you know, you'll never be able to fit into that standard. And so it, it creates this dissonance that you kind of just have to live with, uh, which I mean, it sucks. But at the same time, when it goes back to, that um the conversation of do your identities ever kind of like clash in that but i would definitely say yes i think so i think it's like living with extra pressure i mean any marginalized community can um relate to that i think i was talking the other day uh with a dramaturg about like the um, this idea of the American dream and how it relates to mental health because other countries like my you know my family's like family of immigrants and so like they're like mental health what and um and how this is sort of like Americans have this obsession with happiness and kind of looking at it at that perspective too and how that ties into this like American dream of oh if you if you work you can get success and get happy and it's all on you and because you feel sad it's your fault and that like depression is not a condition that you live with it's just you and you have to fix it I think I get a lot of that mentality as well from my immigrant family members we do have a third person here with us who we're going to introduce right now Uh, her name is Sneha Rati and she goes by she, her, hers. Also, growing up, also having parents who are first-generation immigrants, so being a second-gen immigrant myself, um, I always found, and I grew up in a community where really not that many people look like me, so, like, I always found myself living in almost like a duality, right? Where, like, at school, I was someone else. And at home, I was someone else, and when those things, things were separate it was maybe okay but still felt fake like both parts of it felt fake um and but when they collided like that was such a mental pressure like like when my parents came to school or like when my friends came home what does that look like and like what are the pressures of you know we were talking about this idea of like like wanting to be white like I for like all of my childhood was like trying to be white, right? And so when you try to put on this facade of repressing your culture at school, then coming home and like being a different person, that was always a stressor for me. Like that always stressed me out because um, I never wanted to accept that I looked different from anyone else because I feel like, or that I was different from anyone else because that, that truth was too hard to swallow because it meant that there were it felt like there were parts of myself that I could just like never share with the people around me 
if it was my parents, there were parts of myself that I couldn't share with them because they were like specific to school and like kind of this separate culture that I grew up from or grew up in that was different from them. And then at school with my friends, it's like never talk about home, never talk about other things. And that also like weighed on me so heavily. And I think a lot of people of color feel that, right? Like it's debilitating to have to be multiple people in different spaces. So we also have um, Sejal Lal, who goes by she, her, hers, uh, who's going to talk about her experience as a South Asian woman and mental health. Thank you for having me. I remember the first time I heard the word depression was middle school. And like someone just told me, like, I'm struggling with this. And I didn't really know what it meant. So I didn't really know how to help them. And then I found out about self-harm and suicide. And that really took a toll on me because I... I was just like, I don't understand how people can like kind of think that way. I, I guess I just thought it was someone who couldn't control their emotions and was sad all the time. Um, but when I came to college, I uh, really felt like um, I was able to like understand from other people and then starting to feel it myself, like what depression and anxiety meant. Um, freshman year, I uh, kind of started to get very emotional often, but I always associated being emotional to like certain situations or people or events that occurred or just the fact that I thought, like I was just like, adjusting to college um, and experiencing a new place. And, um, but then uh, I felt like I learned how to cope with it and sophomore year came back and I wasn't able to associate any of those emotions or that feeling of like constantly being like weighed down to anything um and I think what I struggled with a lot was um being able to like talk about it with other people especially in this community is because it's so stigmatized and um no one especially like our parents and I just feel like they don't understand um like what we're talking about when we say we have depression or we have anxiety. They don't understand that's a feeling. They don't understand it's not controllable. They don't understand that it's a part of us. And they think that our family and friends will judge us because we have that sort of feeling um, that we can't control. But it took me a while to accept that because um, of our community, I think. That's something that I always found difficult with kind of getting my family to understand my mental health is that like when you're the one who is depressed or anxious it's a it's really frustrating to also have to be the one who takes who's like patient with people who takes the time to get them to understand and like obviously you want to do that it's your family and in the long term it's probably a good choice but in the moment it feels like why am I the one who has to put all this weight on myself for you to understand when I already like can't understand myself, don't know what's going on. Sometimes don't feel like I can handle like everything I'm feeling. And then also having to share or like be, I don't know if burdened is the right word, but like feel like I also have to take a, the things that you're saying that like hurt me, but then also be patient and understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, that you're learning if like and I'm lucky that my parents are like tried to understand and tried to learn but that's that even that process can be so painful I think 
like last year I really struggled with like going to my classes like getting out of bed like you talked about like I physically couldn't do it and I think I blamed myself a lot as well as like my parents because my parents like I remember they like tracked my location one day and they're like did you go to class and I just lied to them and I was like yeah I did and they're like no you didn't like I saw that you didn't go to class and like I didn't want them to worry about me because how was I so supposed to explain them? like I physically could not get out of bed because that was the truth I could not get out of bed and I blamed myself a lot because I was like like my parents are paying so much money for me to go to this school and like I have everything I could ever want like an amazing family amazing friends like but I just can't go to class. And, like, I think that took a lot of acceptance, I think. But also, like, I didn't really know how to, like, get through to my parents about that. And, like, luckily, I think therapy helped me a lot. And I don't struggle with that as much. There are some days where I can't go to class. But, like, it was definitely a bigger issue last year. But I still don't think they get it, you know? In high school, I told my doctor that I thought I was depressed and we like did the test and everything. And like, this is the part where parents aren't in the room. Like my mom was in the other room and my doctor's like, you have depression based on this test. And she's like, can I go tell your mom? And this, this doctor is not South Asian, like probably didn't really understand what came with that, that whole process in the, in the first place and so I was like yeah of course why wouldn't you tell my mom without really realizing what that meant and so she goes and tells my mom in the other room without me in the room and my mom comes back and my mom is crying and I like it really hits me then that like my doctor just told my mom that her kid is depressed and and I remember like both of us are crying my mom is like what can we do like I don't want to give her medication like what's the next thing like like, give us a list, like, what do we do? Like, what's the immediate remedy to this issue? Like, as most South Asian parents are, like, X plus Y equals Z. Um, And I remember on the car ride home, my mom was like, you were the one that was supposed to be okay. And I I know that that's a lot because there's a lot of stuff that's happened in my family to, like, everyone in my family where I should have been the one that was okay and I should have been the one that was, like, the one who didn't have anything wrong with them like my mom has had breast cancer like that is something that like I can't compare with like I can't compare anything to like my grandfather had just passed away like my grandma like my aunt had passed away so my mom's sister is also like not alive now and so to me that that came with a lot of weight and a lot of responsibility and so I kind of pushed away what I had been feeling and just said I'm fine like I I was fine until a point where I started self-harming and people found out and that was when I started to go to therapy but through therapy it was unwilling therapy so obviously it wasn't going to fix anything and so since then it's been really hard to like bring that experience up again and kind of like remediate myself specifically for me my parents are both uh, ministers Christian and so for them, it was a quick, we're going to pray and everything is going to be all right. And quickly they realized that that wasn't the key. And for my mom, it was so hard for her to understand what was happening, what was going on with me. Like, I literally, I'll briefly tell my story. So I 
I dealt with like anxiety and like you were saying anxiety or depression like all that since I was very very young like I used to have panic attacks over tests and things like that like in the third grade and at that time you don't know what's going on you're just like oh it's a test or whatever and my mom worked at the school so luckily like she'll be that she would be there but I used to I remember I had like a, a I had like a panic attack over chocolate milk. like it was a lot of stuff going on and you know um within my community like we don't talk about mental health you can't have mental health issues and no god forbid you have it at when you're like 10 11 years old and so now that I look back over my life I'm like man like I've dealt with this for a long time so anyway I get I'm dealing with all this for probably my entire life um freshman year of high school I was playing basketball I tore my ACL and so my my life was like you're gonna go you're gonna play sports and you're gonna get a scholarship to play sports because that's how you're gonna get to school for free and then we'll see what happens after that you know be successful whatever and so that happened and after that I never went a month without playing anything and so you're you're down for six to nine months uh once you tear your ACL so once I did that everything hit the fan and that was the first time in my life where I actually dealt with my emotions because I was always school, 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 sports, school, 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 sports. And it was like a cycle like that theater, school, sports, like it it never stopped. And so when everything stopped, that's when everything came. Um, and so like you were saying, like once one thing stops, it's like, OK, now this thing um, starts. And so it was it was it was bad. And I remember my mom, both of my parents, they just could not understand what was going on. And so one day my mom like came into my room and she was like, go to school, go to school. Like I, it was so bad that like I literally stayed in the bed. Getting up to take a shower was a a great day. And so she came in and she was like, get up, you need to go to school. She was like, I'm going to take your phone away. And I just was like, okay, like there's no, there's nothing that you can say to me because I don't know what's going on. All I know is I can't move. Like that's it. And so she came in my room she's saying all these things yelling and screaming I'm just like in the bed like half crying and so then she comes she takes the like bed sheet and like yanks it back and like she's like you're going to school and I just turned over and start crying again because I was like I I cannot get up I cannot physically get up and for her I don't I don't necessarily fault her for that because she was so afraid that it turned into anger and she was so afraid for what was going on to her daughter, going on with her daughter that she didn't know how to handle it. And that was the only way that she could handle it. And so that's a that's a huge burden to carry because you don't know what the fuck is going on with you. And my brother is a very like nonchalant person. So he's just like, ah, whatever, life is whatever, life's whatever. And when I tell you, my brother was like, he turned around and he was like, I just want my sister back and started bawling his eyes out. And, and I was so fucking depressed that I turned around and went back into the room. Like, that's how, like, that's how emotionless I was. And so you're dealing with all these things and you have no fucking clue what's going on with you. And you have no fucking clue how to get out of it. And then on top of that, your parents have no fucking clue. So then they're angry as shit because they're like, what the fuck is going on with my child? Like, I don't know how to deal with this. And in our communities, we don't talk about it. We're not like, go to therapy. It's okay. Take medication. Like, I remember I went to therapy. They like prescribed medication. I never took the shit because it was like, oh no, that's not what you do. Like that's and so which is which is crazy because I needed to, but I didn't. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a tough situation when you have to advocate for yourself, but you don't even know what you're advocating for.
I remember the conversation I had with my parents when they found out that I was like cutting, which which they found out because my friends found out about me. One of them told her mom, who told my counselor at school, who then called my mom without telling me. And that really just probably the root of all my trust issues. But uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, and my mom was like, we need to talk now. And like, this is when I still lived at home. Like it's high school. Like they were like, let's go out. Like we left the home to go talk about this, like in a Panera, like we didn't even order anything. We're just like in Panera talking about it. And it was, it was horrible. Like that is not the way I wanted to be talked about too. And I guess it circles back to just like what you were saying earlier about like being so busy that you can't think like that that was me like being too busy to think about what was actually happening inside my head and like to a point where I was just so busy all the time where I just like wasn't even thinking and I think that was my way of coping with things as college students we are busy we're a lot of times we're over involved and we get into a lot of things so for me um coming here as a transfer at my other school that was me I was like very 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 busy never had time to do anything And I'm busy here, too, but not as busy as I was. And I guess now I'm dealing, I'm struggling with how do you, I'm also going through a lot of personal things right now, too. But I I think the biggest thing that I'm struggling with is how, how are you okay just to, like, sit and not being okay and, like, not having things to fill up that space and, like, like, living in that, like, state of depression or anxiety or whatever it is and knowing that you have it and knowing that you're going through it. And you have nothing else to fill it up. For me, the the way I realized this was that, like, I feel very uncomfortable walking without having headphones in. Or, like, I feel very uncomfortable, like, like it's what you said, just, like, sitting with myself and not, like, not, like, watching TV or reading a book or listening to music or anything like that. Just, like, the idea of sitting by myself is terrifying because, like, I feel like, I mean... it's like what we were talking about earlier where like conversations about mental health in my family like are interesting because it's a lot of times also uncovering like the mental health issues that like my family deals with too like it's not just like understanding that like my mom because I remember the first time I told my mom about anxiety she's like I used to feel that way when I was little but it goes away and then realizing for her that it didn't go away and then realizing that she didn't have the language to talk about her mental illness too right so it's like the first time I went to therapy I was actually one of the only times I've been to therapy I went with my mom and it turned into her crying and just be like I'm so afraid I'm so afraid for my child but I'm also so afraid like I'm so afraid um you know and I was like whoa this is it's a lot to to handle that um and it's a lot to to deal with like I think um that's something that's been really interesting for me is kind of uncovering that history in my family too because um I think like even talking to my mom she's like yeah my my dad is also really anxious and like tracing that family history and like it's so repressed in my family like again trigger warning um my aunt before I um was born committed suicide and like for 
the longest time my family they were like she had a brain tumor like and she died like so it's just like full blatant lie right like and so no one no one has coped with that right so it's like so many of these things are historical in our in our families in our cultures in other things that like it's it's like it's very um difficult to like have that sit like to sit with all of that right um and I think I find that like coping with my thoughts like on its own is so difficult but then to like at least for me like cope with that history is also difficult and I I don't think that like that that type of history is exclusive to me like I think a lot of people deal with similar situations in their family especially people of color right like we don't if you don't talk about it, like, I feel like everyone has a different version of that kind of story. There's an element of shame, like, our, like, it's shameful to the family to admit that you have a mental illness, and I find that even now that I'm in college and I'm not living with my family, that I start asking myself the same questions that they asked me as a kid when I was feeling this way. Like if I'm feeling depressed and like I can't move, I just like am like mad at myself. Like why? Why do I have to feel this way? Why am I de- like really which is sort of the same thing that they were asking and I put the same sort of shame on me that that I felt from them and I think learning to let that go is really hard because I feel like specifically for women of color there's a lot of shame that we live with outside of mental health just like (laughs) being ourselves is I felt a lot of shame growing up because people around me didn't look like me and I hated that and so like getting past that and uh, I feel like we're constantly shaming ourselves for things that we have no control over and I think dealing with that is is just telling that critical voice to shut the fuck up and like being sad for a day or two and like that sucks to in like a world where it's go 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 to force yourself to slow down and be like Amanda it's not safe for you to be doing all this stuff you have to slow down and sit and like figure out a way to like accept yourself in this state um and that's really hard is because I feel like as a woman of color we have a hard time accepting ourselves but um I think that's the struggle for all of us and it's like this weird learning curve that we're dealing with that I'm dealing with now that I'm finally like not living at home and in college really resonate with that because I used to not be able to just sit and be me and take that downtime that is so necessary for people and I think once college started happening now I like definitely enjoy being alone a lot more and like want that like I've not I don't want to be around people all the time like I need that space and I think just throwing yourself into that uncomfortable situation it really does wonder sometimes and helps you calm down too I I think an added layer for me speaking to like always needing to be busy and all of those things is like I mean my parents are wonderful and like relative to a lot of my friends or family friends who are South Asian um 
are are like very accepting of a lot of things which I'm really lucky for but I think I think about it this way. I think that immigration, because my parents are immigrants, is so difficult like for anyone, right? Like learning a new language, being in a new culture, if like like all the realizing when you come from a culture where everyone looks like you, realizing how different it is to be in a culture where no one looks like you and coping with that. Um, you know, my parents had to go through all of those things in a way that is different from the way that I did. And I think it's like, to say that that's not difficult is just a lie right that's like the most it's so it's so incredibly difficult to to immigrate somewhere especially in a place where like that a place that is like built on racism um <laughs> I so I I always I feel like a lot of second gen immigrants or like kids of immigrants get like hear this rhetoric of like you don't know how hard I had it. I moved here because it would like, because or I worked so hard or I moved here because it will make things easier for you. And it is easier for you. Um, and like to an extent I understand, right? Cause that's just like what I see that as at least is like years of pain and like, <laughs> like things that, you know, they didn't talk about that come out in that like anger. Um, but when you're a kid, when you're even when you're not a kid, like hearing that type of thing yeah. is really hard because you're like what I'm feeling. Because especially if you can see the validity in that, like feeling then like you like what you're feeling is not valid, that you have it easy, that you shouldn't feel those things. And that like like it basically invalidates all of your pain, if that makes sense. And like even though I have wonderful parents like that type of language that type of rhetoric would come out every once in a while and honestly still does um and and that can be really hard to hear because it makes you feel like what you're feeling is not like is nothing um yeah exactly so I have a question for everyone then how do we communicate what we feel to like the older generation and our parents, but also communicate this to peers or people who still hold these beliefs that like you have everything, what's going on? Like, why do you feel like this? Or like, what do you wish you would hear too? I really like using the like injury analogy, like, um, <laughs> like relating it to something physical like you wouldn't run a marathon if your foot was broken and um and you know people say well you're in school like leave that kind of emotional baggage at the door and come here ready to learn and again like if you broke your foot you can't leave that broken limb outside the door like it comes with you and it's again not something you can turn on and off and and I also like to think of it or like to explain it in such a way that it is chemical. Like it kind of, I think takes the blame off of me because I feel like a lot of the times like, oh, this is my fault that I feel this way because yeah, we are like, I am privileged and my family has done so much for me to be here and yet I don't want to be here. And it's like, um, kind of like stop, stopping that voice that's like why do you feel like this and just and just accepting like yeah 
there's a little there's like a little corner of your brain that's not making the right chemical right now and that'll change in like a day and um like explaining it that way I think has helped me cope with it um I think that for me and nothing has been fully successful right there's like no one way to explain it for your own brain and your coping and also like every person understands things differently and navigating that is tough um but to me with my parents and like my friends I think relating like finding points that they can relate to within that has been really helpful um like being like have you ever felt like nervous before a test and be like yeah yeah I understand that I'm like imagine that but like you also can't breathe and also it's just because you know like you're brushing your teeth in the morning and I think that like that to me has been maybe the most helpful because that like finding those points of relation at least gives them a tangible way to to understand what you're feeling but I don't know. Again, it's like so different for each situation. Um, I think sometimes, this is sometimes, sometimes time will be okay. Which, I'm, I can't believe I'm saying this because I am not, I'm not that person. Like, I'm not, it'll turn out, like, I'm not that type of person. But, ironically enough, um, when I went home last summer, me and my mom had a conversation about, like, everything that I I'd went through in high school and I was still going through it like at home and for a second like she understood and I was like what the fuck <laughs> like where did this come from um but she someone else in our family was dealing with dealing with it too and so they talked to her about it and the person like was older and I was like why didn't I know this like why didn't you tell like, like we were saying and we don't talk about how our family deals with this and I was like what and so I think sometimes I have to just realize some things click and for her I think it was just a a, she had to get to a place where she understood that like there was nothing that I could do to help myself and she I mean I think there's still there's still times where she doesn't get it there's still times when I'm like yeah I just I'm having a terrible day like I don't feel good and she like keeps like asking and asking and asking like when I'm when I'm going through emotional trauma like I can't talk and so I think that's one thing that she doesn't understand but yeah, we, we had a good conversation about everything that I went was going through and how I, I literally can't do anything when I'm going through it. And she seemed to understand. And that's just like a testament, like I said, to time. So that, that was probably like two, did I graduate? 16. So that was like two years after, going, well, two to three years after going through all of that, that she kind of understood what was going on, which is a long ass time. <laughs> but I mean it's better than not I guess so I guess sometimes you just have to give people time I'm a cynical ass person so that was that's that's different for me to say (laughs) but yeah we really have to get over that idea of like there's something wrong with there's something wrong with me and the fact that I'm not enough um and that I'm not strong enough and I'm not strong that I'm weak that all those myths we have to get over that because that's so not true that's so not true Thank you all so much. This is a really important topic in a lot of colored communities, and it's still an important topic for people on college campuses and everyone in general. So to everyone listening, we hope that 
you took something out of this and if you do have any thoughts or comments feel free to email the links in the bio will have an email which you can contact us and thank you for listening